Welcome to the Fathom Academy podcast, a podcast designed for the people of Fathom Church to be resourced to go deeper with God. I'm Kyle Knight. I'm the youth and digital minister here at Fathom. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about a really great topic um, that we're going to discuss. But before we get into that, I'd love to introduce the the guest that we have with us today. Some of you might know him from uh, if you took part in our Fathom Academy Christian Theology class slash video series that we went through last summer. Um, he pretty much taught us everything about everything uh, during that class, but um, we want to just welcome uh, Ryan Tafalowski. So thank you for joining us today, Ryan. Really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Ryan is the pastor at Foothills Fellowship Church, and um, he's an instructor just right up the road from here at, at Denver Seminary. Um, uh, the, we also, the Denver Seminary. The Denver Seminary. Um, my next point, we also have Pastor Chris here, of course. <laughs> he likes to chime in. It's just like when they do uh, introductions at football games, and they're like, the University of Ohio. It like, is just that, like that's, that. That's, that's, we, we just want to know. Denver the Seminary. Denver Seminary. Because yeah. two they out of the three of us have graduated from there, so I just want to be clear that... Um, you graduated from the Denver Center. Yes, I did. As did I. Ryan has a much <laughs> higher academic pedigree than we that's do, true. but that's okay. Yeah, okay. That That is okay. Um, so uh, today we're going to be talking about church membership, um, which is really, really important and something that um, obviously is coming up here at Fathom. So um, Pastor Chris, why don't you just uh, enlighten us on why we are talking about church membership today? Yeah, so um, so we always say here at Fathom that that we have a high view of the church, a high ecclesiology, and a high bar. Uh, I think it's a high bar for church membership. At least, at least in our current uh, cultural moment, we value church membership highly. And so uh, we talk about church membership a lot. We kind of talk about next steps uh, as you are joining a church, uh, finding a new church. We talk about it with the metaphor of a, a relationship that, you know, showing up at a new church for the first time is kind of like a blind date. You don't know what kind of mess you're stepping into, but you realize real quick whether or not it's at least worth a next date. I mean, you can know after about five minutes whether you're in the wrong place, um, but it takes a little bit more time to kind of get to know a church. And then we we ask people to come to our uh, starting point after they've come for a couple of weeks just to kind of get, um, decide whether they want to, I don't know, go steady with our church. Maybe that's the the next, I mean, that's my parents' language, but but uh, they want to date us exclusively, kind of make Fathom their home church. We have our starting point for that. Uh, but then we always say that if you've been around for a number of months, maybe you, uh, you belong to a, a discipleship group or a Bible study, maybe you're serving in some aspect in the church, your next step is to consider membership. And so we do our covenant membership class twice a year and we onboard members. Uh, and so we wanted to talk about membership, which is really, we always say it's like putting a ring on it. I mean, it's taking that that dating relationship and, and covenanting. Now, it's certainly not the same level of a covenant that a marriage is, but the, the analogy pans out that we want people to commit at a deeper level uh, to the church. And that's what we see membership is as. Now, I say all of that to say, culturally, this is a dying phenomenon. Uh, membership is uh, in church world becoming less and less kind of in vogue. Uh, and so I wanted to bring Ryan in because Ryan is the smartest guy I know personally, uh, might be the smartest guy I know of. Yeah. I think you should put that out there. 
let's add yeah. this to your title. Okay. Ryan Tafalowski, <laughs> we'll the, the smartest guy yeah, Chris knows smartest. of. Um, but I, I, I just would like to have a conversation as Ryan is a, is a practitioner, as a church pastor, but also a theologian and a, an instructor at the seminary. I just would val- value a little bit more uh, conversation around church membership. So, so that's kind of the impetus behind this conversation. Awesome. So let, I mean, let's dive into it. You wanted to start with, um, kind of just the, the historical biblical, I guess, view of church membership. Is that where you want to start? Yeah, Ryan, why don't, can, can you kind of, uh, I mean, I've got, I'll just kind of ping pong back and forth a little bit here, but, but talk to us about what you think is, you know, theological biblical perspective around church membership, at whatever level you want to start with. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, when I got those prompts, my first thought was when you're reading the new Testament documents, these letters that are written to these fledgling churches, you already get the sense if you're reading closely that this thing is taking membership. It never uses that language, but it's taking membership much, much more seriously. I think than we are prepared to, or we typically do. And there's a few reasons for this. Partially, the New Testament originates in a collectivist culture, whereas we come from an individualist culture. So we tend to think of churches as consumers might. We go to a church. Do we like the music? Do we like the preaching? All that stuff's important. But in the New Testament, try to think of it. If you live in Corinth, there is a church there, or there is a small network of house churches. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't just go to the next church down the road, and there's a sense in which the church needs a almost supernatural kind of unity if it's going to survive in such a world. And so there's a seriousness about it. That's hard. I think for an American in 2021 to really appreciate. Um, but the language is never used, but the concept is presupposed all over the place, I think is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I always tell people, um, I can't point you to the church membership verse. Mm. Like, I wish there was one. Uh, I I wish that was just like, you know, Paul said in the seventh chapter to the church at Galatia. Yeah, that's right. Join a church <laughs> formally. Um, so I, I don't think there's an explicit verse, but I always say that there are implicit so- signs of, um, of kind of a deeper belonging, a deeper inclusion, a deeper membership idea uh, to a local congregation kind of all throughout the New Testament epistles. Uh, I have a couple in mind, but I'd love to like, do you, do you think that there are, uh, beyond the cultural norm of Mm. that day, do you think there are, um, biblical, uh, precedents for belonging at a deeper level to a church? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no one verse, but on one level it's because the whole concept is so obvious that it scarcely needs articulating, I think Mm. in the new Testament context. So they, uh, it would, it would be inconceivable, I think, for Paul, say, for you to say that you are a Christian who doesn't take commitment to the church seriously. I think that mm. he wouldn't even have categories to to think that way. Mm. Um, and if you want to look at one text, what about the book of Philemon? This is a very good example, I think, where there are really durable institutions in the ancient world, like ethnic class, uh, uh, socioeconomic class. And then race, um, or understood as ethnic identity, and then slavery, which is an incredibly prevalent institution in the ancient world. It's everywhere you look, 
it, it never occurs to even any of the New Testament writers that you could overturn it. But in the book of Philemon, Paul is asking members who belong to a body mm. to do something totally inconceivable in the ancient world. And it's because they are bound together by links that are much, much stronger than anything they find outside the walls of the church. So Paul can say to Philemon, listen, I know that Onesimus is your property, but I'm asking you to treat him as a brother. Oh yeah. So, so if that's mm. not membership, what is, right? Mm. He's essentially saying all these hierarchies that make sense in the Greco-Roman world, they don't apply inside these walls. That takes a radical kind of commitment to actually agree to live by those kinds of rules inside a household. So there's no one text, but stories all over the place in the New yeah. Testament indicate this. Yeah, and that's where, I've, and I never thought about Philemon. Um, I mean, obviously the pastoral epistles, which is first, mm. second Timothy and Titus, mm. Uh, there's a lot of instructions on uh, how to oversee a congregation. Uh, the, the one I like to kind of point to is 1 Corinthians 5, where mm. we, we start to find Paul talk about church discipline and removing uh, individuals from the fellowship. And, and I always say that um, if you can kick someone out, there must be an in, yeah. <laughs> right? There's got to be an in if there's an out. Uh, and, and so there's some logical, you know, but but I think you're right. I think you see the fingerprints of this uh, implicitly all throughout the text. Well, there's a rich ecclesiology behind that in 1 Corinthians 5, and it's it's borne out in 1 Corinthians 3, and then in 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul is saying all kinds of crazy things, like when you dwell together, you guys become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, or when he says later in the in the letter, 1 Corinthians 12, when he says you guys are a body, that's an organic metaphor. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a bond between believers that is far beyond any sort of procedure. They haven't just taken a member's class. They have become bonded to one another. I mean, Paul means this as a metaphor, but it's not just a metaphor. It's, uh, it's supposed to be an organic community. And that's sort of what I mean when I say that the seriousness with which the New Testament is taking it is already far developed beyond what we're prepared to see, I think, when we read these letters. Yeah. And even you just, so you're talking about membership in those terms. I'm sitting here thinking, well, that's, I feel like a lot of us nowadays do not have that same view of church membership of how close of a group that is. Okay. So I guess modern church, modern church membership today. Um, what, what are, what are some of the things that churches are are getting right with membership? What are some of the things that they're getting wrong with membership um, in, in today's church? That's a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, pass. Come back to me. <laughs> let me think about that. I'll say some stuff. I actually, let me, let's, let's do this. Um, church membership is like we've already mentioned on the decline of being in vogue. Um, you can very reasonably go to many, I would say modern evangelical expressions of the local Christian church and find places where there is no membership whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, and I've got major questions about that, but uh, maybe this question would, would help. Ryan, will you tell us historically, like at your best, your, your best uh, understanding, um, is this a modern thing? I mean, is this a new thing? Is this a postmodern thing? I mean, 
when, when, <laughs> when did the idea of church members, it seemed to be assumed even a generation or two ago. Mm. Um, oh, certainly. Yeah. And so, so, so talk us through a little bit of, of that. Like, how do we get to this place where it seems to be an on the table issue, as opposed to just like an assumption that there was a membership and that if you were a believer, you belonged to a church. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I think the history is interesting. So we've talked about the new Testament period. If you read early apostolic literature. So if you're looking say about the first hundred years after the events of the new Testament, you have got really rigorous admission standards for what are called catechumens. These are people who want to convert to Christianity. But what's interesting is in these early Christian churches, you can't just join a church. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to go through, in many cases, it was a standard three-year catechesis yeah. where you were mm -hmm. taught the essentials of the faith. And then there were even doctrines that you were not taught until you were fully admitted to the church by baptism. So a catechumen might have to be in training for three years, then be baptized. Uh, at that point, they would have access to the Lord's Supper or to the Eucharist, right? Um, and if you read this literature from this period, a good example is a, a, a book called The Apostolic Tradition. It's by a guy named Hippolytus of Rome. He's the bishop of the church in Rome, writing in the middle 100s. And if you read this book, it's almost like he is trying to keep people out of church rather than inviting them in. So yeah. he will say things like, if you're a chariot driver or you're an actor or you're a teacher or you're a prostitute, you need to either find a new job or find another religion. Uh, he says things like this. Mm -hmm. Or uh, he says, yeah, you can join the church, but after three years in the Greek tradition among the Orthodox churches, you'll see references to what are called the dread mysteries. This is the Eucharist, baptism, the sacraments. These things are not just available to anyone who walks into a church. What's interesting is that holds through throughout the Middle Ages and generally through the Reformation too. I think what has happened is you've seen an exact inversion of that with the rise of seeker-sensitive churches in the 80s and 90s in particular, where you are, um, church philosophies, and I think there's a lot to be said for this. We're interested in getting people in the door so they actually sort of eliminated any of those obstacles. Um, but what you're starting to see now, and this is just my own opinion, so take it for what it's worth, you're starting to see a generation of evangelicals who have not been catechized. And I think church, the decline in church membership corresponds almost exactly with that. Um, and so paradoxically, by making the church easier to join, we've actually made it harder to be a fruitful and faithful Christian. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the history of it is fascinating because, um, and, and we can get into more of the pragmatics of like how that plays out, but um, let me ask this question and, and, uh, and then we can riff on it a little bit, but I get people often who will say, Chris, why would I need to become a member? Mm -hmm. I attend, I'm in a group. I, you know, I give, yeah. I serve for all intents and purposes. I am a part of this church. Mm -hmm. Why would I need to covenant with this community and go through the official process of becoming a member. I'm already in essence, a member. Mm. How do you respond to something like that? Well, you, you use the metaphor of like going steady. 
which is really funny. I just thought of you having like Letterman sweaters that you can pass out to people who visit. We're thinking Adam about it. With a big uh, I'm going to note that down. Yeah, yeah write that down. Next awesome. elders meeting, uh, we will discuss. This is so that they can be identified as Fathom's girl. Uh, what I would say is that it's not a coincidence that one of the predominant metaphors for the church in the New Testament is the bride of Christ. Marriage language is very, very common. And at the end of the story in Revelation, what you see is Jesus Christ in his crucified, glorified, resurrected state at the right hand of the Father. He's being presented with his bride at the end of the story. That's the church. And it'd be a bit like me telling my wife, Adrian, listen, for all intents and purposes, we're married, right? We live together. We've got that baby together that sort of links us forever. You know, you know, I care about you and, and we're basically married, right? So why do I need a piece of paper? Or why do I need to exchange a ring with you? Well, the purpose of a wedding ring is to demonstrate publicly mm. that you are covenanting with a person that you're responsible to them and for them, which is why I don't expect that Adrian would be psyched if I said, you know what, like, why do we need to wear rings? Like, why can't we, we know we're married in our hearts. I think when you covenant with a church, you're signifying publicly that you are accountable to and for other people mm. and that you intend to remain faithful until you are presented pure and blameless to Jesus Christ on the, the day of the Lord. It doesn't always work out that way, of course just like not every marriage always works out. Um, but that should be the intent, I think, is what yeah. I would say. Yeah, that's good. All right, should we talk about some, uh, some, I don't know, uh, backwards versions of this now? Or like pragmatics or, uh, mm -hmm. or I don't know, problematic expressions of this? Because, because I've got questions. I mean, I just have like pragmatic questions about churches that don't do membership or Christians who don't um, don't believe in membership. Would that be okay? Ask those questions. Is that okay? Yeah. I mean, I That's don't want to okay. be the host, but <laughs> you're the pastor. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> let Let's talk. Let so so. I think we've just started on the the it the the comparison between marriage and and so what. Let me ask this, Ryan. What um. Let's talk benefits to a believer for covenanting with a church mm -hmm. membership uh, specifically. What's, what, what does a believer get out of that deal that they maybe don't get if they just are uh, an attender? And I'm assuming that they're like a faithful attender. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. So not to be like that guy. I don't know if I would frame the question in exactly that way, because I think to belong to the people of God, both in the old Testament and the new is never a transactional sort of thing. It's never an equation of what you give and what you take. I think that's, and I certainly that's not the intent of your question, but I do think it's not uncommon for folks to think about their relationship to a church this way. Uh, you sometimes hear the language of I'm not being fed or I wasn't getting enough out of it. That's all transactional language. Mm. 
Uh, and the gospel is not about transactions. The gospel is about being welcomed into the family of God on account of Jesus's work on your behalf and because of God's radical, scandalous welcome. Um, and so anytime we're thinking about tallying, giving, and taking, I think we're, we're not very closely in step with what the New Testament means by the church. But I am, and not to get hyper theological on you, but I really do think it is the claim of all the New Testament writers in their own way that you, the community is the place where you access the fullness of the divine life. Hmm. Uh, I think John, John's gospel especially emphasizes this in the upper room discourse where Jesus in the high priestly prayer more or less says, to be in the community is to be in Christ who is in the Father, which means that to be in the community is to be in the Father, which means to be in the Father is to be in Jesus, which means to be in community. All of these <laughs> pronouns are really inseparable. And so Jesus says something absolutely stunning in that passage. He says, I'm going to share with them the glory that you and I shared before the creation of the world, and I'm going to love them with the same love with which you love me which is basically saying to be in the community is to, to access the life of the triune God. Hmm. So, and that sounds all mystical, but the way that Jesus Christ makes himself real is through the community. And lots Dietrich Bonhoeffer very famously said, the church is Jesus Christ existing as community. And It just seems to me that the biblical writers would see it to be to be really inscrutable to say that Jesus has pledged himself to you in this way and you can't reciprocate. Um, and so the benefit is access to the divine life. And because it's a public covenant, there's an immense security in this, right? Mm. Um, like in your wedding vows, there is tremendous liberty and security in that where your spouse says to you in sickness and in health, I'm going yeah. to be there yeah. or in uh, wealth or poverty. I'm going to be there. Um, I've been in one church my whole life, more or less with the exception of a few years when I didn't live here and it has not been perfect, but I can say that every time I have been in some sort of distress, there's been someone there, right? Mm. That's, one of the benefits of membership of, of covenant community over time, uh, a long obedience in the same direction together to use Eugene Peterson's language. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like saying, what do you get out of a marriage that you don't get out of dating? Yeah, that's good. When, when I do weddings, um, I use that same, that same language talking about vows and that vows I did your wedding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, the, I remember the, that. The vows are not contractual language. It's covenantal language. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And really no, helpful. nobody, nobody wants to sit at a wedding and watch the, the, <laughs> the efficient say, um, you know, okay, repeat after me. I give myself to you. If you mow the lawn, you bring home a steady paycheck. Okay. Well then I will commit myself to you. If there's dinner on the table at five and, uh, you know, we get to go away for a weekend, just us, not the kids like for romance and, that's that's contractual that's yeah. if then language as opposed to i give myself to you that's oh, so good um and that's the same yeah it's a different level but it's the same thing to the church um 
And, and so that's really helpful. Okay. So then, then what about you? I mean, you're a pastor, you know, you've worked in churches for a long time, Ryan, what's, I don't, maybe if we're not going to use benefits, like what is, what's the, the pitfall for a church if they don't have a, a membership, a formal membership, uh, process or, you know, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. No church would ever say this, of course. Um, I have a colleague at Denver Seminary, Don Payne. You guys will both know uh, Professor Payne. Mm -hmm. He makes a really helpful distinction between functional theology and formal theology. So your formal theology is what you say you believe on paper. Your functional theology is uh, how you actually live, right? The, the principles that actually animate how you live. So no church has a formal, uh, formal theology that says, we don't think commitment is that important. But when you don't offer covenant membership, it does signal that we're not in this together for the long haul, right? It signals, and I think this is no one's intention, and I'm not trying to be uncharitable. And I realize I have my own biases here. Um, as a small church person in a tradition that has historically taken membership seriously, uh, it runs the risk of signaling. If things don't work out, you know, we can always just go our separate ways. Right. And tragically, because we live in a world fractured by sin and death, sometimes that happens in a church community, just like it sometimes happens in marriages. But when you offer covenant language, that signals, I think, uh, a level of, commitment expressed in self-giving love that's not enforceable like you said in the way that a contract is mm -hmm. you know if someone wants to leave your church you can't just show them a contract and say to break mm -hmm. this you're going to have to pay damages yeah it's actually much more powerful than that it's um it's a contract where you've given yourself to one another um which is much better i think um so yeah i mean i wouldn't I would just want to avoid even giving an, the unintentional signal that uh, it's easy to break this thing. Yeah. And that's, that's really helpful. We, um, in our membership class, we talk about, how, I mean, just real pra pragmatically, like how do you make a decision? Hmm. Like how does a church make a decision? Not, I mean, without a membership, how, do, who makes that call? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, staff or it's the pastor or it's the board. Well, how do you decide who's on the board? Well, the staff or the <laughs> pastor or the, I mean, it becomes really quickly this, the a real legitimate question is how do you, how do you even do this thing um, without okay. some sort of, and, 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 and granted now here's our bias. I mean, all of our bias is that we are raised, born and raised in America, in a, in a Republican democracy with mm. the idea that, you know, representation is necessary with the idea that checks and balances are necessary. And so maybe if we were raised in a, in a, uh, in the medieval time with a monarchy, we'd have a different viewpoint here, but, um, certainly there's, there's pragmatics involved mm -hmm. in, in legitimately knowing who's in and who's out, like who gets to vote and who doesn't, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. how, how does a church with no formalized membership call a new pastor? Is it just the decision of a few that influences the rest. I mean, there's some real questions that begin to bubble to the surface. Um, is it just whoever shows up that Sunday, they get the vote? I don't know. Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I don't think it's a coincidence 
that models of church polity, which have de-emphasized membership, have also correlated pretty strongly to, for lack of a better term, our, our cults of pastoral personality, huh. right? Because if you don't have that sort of representative governance, which I think you made a great point, and it's worth saying, is deeply influenced by our culture. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have that, then the pastor can just sort of, you know, it's like if you go to Christian college, you've either dumped someone or gotten dumped because God was telling you to <laughs> or them to. Uh, and what's to stop that on an institutional scale? And that's where it gets a lot really hairy, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you read the New Testament, you you get the sense that there are elders who are accountable to the people in the church, accountable to their interests, and decision-making seems to be, for lack of a better term, egalitarian. Yeah. Where in the Jerusalem Council, say, in Acts 15, you're, you have the church making a really important decision, but you get the sense that before they hand down their decree, there was a long period of deliberation and uh, the, the body cumulatively listening for the voice of the Holy spirit. That's what they say. It seemed good to us and yeah. to the Holy spirit. Yeah. If you don't have any practical mechanisms to make those sorts of decisions, it really undermines your ecclesiology. I always tell my students at the seminary when it comes time to study church polity and systematic theology class, this isn't sexy. It's really boring, but it's vital to the church's life and mission in the world. That's right. You got to think about it. Kyle, do we have any other questions that we? Bring? I don't have any other okay. questions, but I know you probably do. Well, uh, what what are we? Are we okay? We, get, we have a couple we more a few minutes. minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um, what what aren't we asking, Ryan? Like what? I mean, you are both a a practitioner of this and a teacher of this, uh, at an institutional level. Um, what 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 aren't we talking about that we should be talking about when it comes to, um, either pros or cons or theology or historicity like what 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 else is there that we might be missing if somebody is who's listening wants to consider this topic at a 30 minute podcast level yeah that's a good question my first thought is that this is part of a really concerning cultural trend it's it's no secret we've been seeing it covid has made it worse hmm. but even before covid uh, rates of social isolation and loneliness are on the rise. Um, the Surgeon General under Joe Biden is going to be a guy named Vivek Murthy when he was the, the Surgeon General under Obama some 10 years ago now. He said that the number one health crisis in America, it's not obesity, it's not diabetes, it's not cancer. He said it's loneliness, which shows that we're, um, yeah, he suggested that loneliness actually take is a is a public health crisis and we are seeing the decline in all kinds of meaningful associations across every sector of our society churches are just one but when the there's a french philosopher political scientist alexis de tocqueville when he came to america in the 18th century to watch how democracy worked he wrote back to colleagues in france and he said one of the things that makes americans remarkable is that they associate. They associate on all kinds of levels. Mm. Local governments, local clubs, bowling leagues, little league sports teams, potlucks, churches. I think this is an important discipleship issue because it is part of a broader trend 
towards the kind of isolation that is killing us as a society. It's killing mm -hmm. our civic life. It's killing our political life. And if we can't learn to commit to one another in really meaningful ways, even when it's not convenient, I don't think it bodes well for our society. And I don't mean to be alarmist, but I do think it's an important Christian discipleship issue. Yeah. What does it say about us if we are unwilling to commit to one another? I think is a question we ought to think about. Yeah, that's so good. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd read some of that stuff that you were just talking. About. I, I I read that there was a uh, in the UK a loneliness minister. Yeah, the minister the of minister loneliness. of loneliness. Uh -huh. uh, and so, like, I mean, it's not just an American problem; it is a cultural problem and, and a Western um, problem. A Western problem. That's right. Yeah. And um, and significant. Uh, and you know the we are just kind of dabbling into the conversation uh, or, or the experiment that is offering streaming and online and all of these things that we were all kind of forced into mm -hmm. uh, via COVID. But now those questions are going to be ripe to say, can you be a member if you don't attend? Mm -hmm. Do you need to be embodied? Mm -hmm. I mean, these are, and I've got my own opinions on this and I'm sure Ryan, you have your own opinions as well, but, and we're not going to get into those today, but this is a, this is a live issue. This is a, a real issue. And it's not just churches mm -hmm. that are dealing with this issue either. Uh, it's any sort of, um, any sort of belonging is being redefined mm -hmm. in a very, um, well, it's a, it's, it's a nerve wracking way, no doubt. Oh, I agree. I think that's really well said. Well, I, I, I mean, unless you've got another question, I don't. Okay. Ryan, anything else from you? Oh, you, I think you, I've done enough. Yeah, thanks for doing that, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let me just say this then to our church to mm -hmm. before we kind of sign off is that um, we value membership. We value belonging. We don't do it perfectly. There is no church that does it perfectly, but um, we value this at a deeper level uh, than maybe some of the churches, some of our folks are coming from. Uh, and uh, and so I would invite people to to at least join us at the membership class. If nothing else, you'll 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 get to see what we do and who we are, and you can have that. It's you don't sign on the dotted line until much later, but um, <laughs> but at least you get the the idea for for why this is important. And I hope that uh, a little time with Ryan and a little time with us has has been a benefit to to just answer at least some cursory questions about why do we even like who even cares about membership. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's a bigger deal uh, than culturally it's being made right now. So. Yeah. Yes, and that membership class is on March seventh. That's right. Uh, you have to register to be a part of that. Um, go to fathomchurch.org/members uh, to do that. But yeah, thank you, Ryan, so much. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Um, this is good stuff. I hope everybody listening um, got something out of this. Uh, but thank you so much, Church. That's all we've got for you today. Um, we love you, and we'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.